As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, the show which aims to help grow your confidence in thinking through and sharing your faith. I'm Ruth Jackson, and before I introduce this week's guest, just a quick reminder to head over to our website, premierunbelievable.com, to find more shows, articles, and resources. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you can get yourself a free ebook. And we'd love to know what you think of the programme. You can get in touch via our social media or by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk. Today is the first of our two-part interview with Pastor John Tyson. John is Senior Pastor of the Church of the City in New York. Originally from Adelaide, Australia, John moved to the United States 20 years ago and now lives in the Hell's Kitchen neighbourhood of Manhattan with his wife and two children. He is the author of numerous books, including Sacred Roots, A Creative Minority, The Burden is Light, Beautiful Resistance and The Intentional Father. I caught up with John during the summer, and this is part one of our conversation. We both live in fairly secular cities in, I guess, inverted commas, London, New York. What, what do you think are some of the big, I'll just dive in, what are some yeah. of the big objections that you see? Um, and why do you think that is? Why is there such a kind of move towards secularism and away from Christianity? If, if you think that is the, the move that we're seeing. I think there are general objections to the Christian faith that have always been there. The problem of evil, um, perceived problems with the biblical text. How can this book that teaches these things be good news? Um, the behaviour of Christians. Hey, Jesus said these things and you sort of have enmeshed politics in these things that don't fit together. So I think there's, you know, those general things that Christians in every age have wrestled with. I think those answers are coming back. They're probably a little more widely known. Uh, I'll say I, I find non-believers now who have never read the Bible but are aware of the genocide passages in the Old Testament. It's like 10 years ago, I never got anything about genocide passages. So I think, you know, with the rise of the internet, people are sort of googling and finding things uh, so i think that's a part of it um but there's obviously more specific things uh, you know as our culture has changed we're exposed to different views on sexuality um there's different obviously a lot of multi you know yeah, multi-faith conversations very sincere people from other religions we've got access to them now they're not people over there that we go and do missions with they're people that we work with so i think all of that stuff is sort of pressing in on us and the typical person, I think, feels like they need to have a, a, a theology degree in apologetics to have a conversation with people at a coffee shop. It's just, it's in our face, it's obvious, and it's everywhere. 
Um, why is that happening? Oh, it's yeah. I think globalization is doing something. I think technology is doing something. I think um, younger generations are just exposed to people that used to be either problems or issues, and now they see them as their friends who are very kind and. How could the Bible exclude people of certain categories? The way we form identity and meaning and values has been changed by secularism, what Charles Tyler calls exclusive humanism. We don't think we need transcendent points of reference in order to find meaning and wonder and value. So all of those things, I think, in some sense of, are a perfect storm, making it you know, very, very hard for people to follow Jesus in a moment like this. And so I guess, how do we follow Jesus in a moment like that? So Psalm 137 asks the question, how do we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? If you had to kind of whittle it down to a couple of points, how do we sing those songs of the Lord in a foreign land? How do we live as Christians in these places? Well, I think we we have to, um, in some sense, not worry about being Christians. And we really need to be explicitly followers and disciples of Jesus. Our message... Christianity has often yeah, been so enmeshed with either uh, imperialism, um, politics, moralism, um, that it can, it's actually possible to have a completely biblical worldview and still have nothing to do with the person of Jesus himself in our everyday discipleship. So I think we have to just resolve to identify with Jesus. Number two, our message has to be the kingdom of God, not a given uh, not hinging it on a politic, particular political or legislative vision, not that there's not secondary implications, but we, we have to preach the kingdom of God. It's Jesus and the kingdom of God, reclaiming those two things as our central personal commitment and then vision of the world. Um, I think we have to stop over-identifying with social categories with a desire for acceptance. I think we need to just be willing to just be loyal to Jesus and let the chips fall where, uh, where they may. I think, um, yeah, so, I, I, so that, that's our approach to the world. It's Jesus, it's the kingdom of God. And I think uh, the church has to like get back to its roots. Radical obviously means getting back to the roots. I think we need to care about the poor. I mean, the apostle Paul is told in the book of Galatians, doctrinal book, remember the poor. We've got to remember the poor. We've got to remember our call to justice. We've got to remember our call to community. So we just need that holistic gospel. Various traditions have tended to emphasize certain parts of it. I think we're at a day where certain parts of Christianity are insufficient. We have to reclaim all of them and then sort of follow them together. And obviously with humility and love. Bonhoeffer, I think it was, said that we've got to live such a life that it causes non-believers to question their disbelief mm -hmm. in God. I guess that thing of like actually your life needs to raise those questions mm -hmm. in a kind of radically different way so how do we live those lives that cause non-believers to question let me answer with with something i heard andy kraut say as he said being a radical is not hard give away 10 percent of your money and don't watch tv he's just like who does that nobody so it's it's actually not always the big things it can just be sort of like what we call non-heroic mission it can just be people being kind uh, not complaining. It says in Philippians 2 that you'll shine like stars in the midst of a corrupt and depraved generation. Like in the universe, if you just don't complain, do not grumble or complain. Um, loving our enemies is a classic, you know, do good to those who hurt you. Um, it's just getting back to those simple teachings of Jesus. And then whatever God puts in front of us, we just take responsibility. You can't fix everything. 
but you can do whatever God's put directly in front of you. You know, the, the, the needy person in the parable of the Good Samaritan is whoever's in front of you right now. So let's let's love those people, care for them, and then sort of like model that in an inclusive way. So, yes, we, it, there's things we do that the world doesn't do, and there's things we don't do that the world does. And I think it's a combination of both of those things uh, sort of put together in a compelling, winsome way that makes people say, what is that? And then gives us the chance to share our faith. I guess being right in the centre of Manhattan, you must have had a lot of questions and objections over the years. This is maybe um, sort of asking you to be a little bit vulnerable, but is is there any question or objection that you've heard that you've just thought, flip, that is, like, you know, really sort of shaken your faith to the core or got you really thinking... Oh, I just don't know where to begin with there are There are very good reasons not to believe in the world. Mm-hmm. And there are very good reasons to believe in the world. I think, yeah, I think the problem of evil is, um, I think Plantiga's free will defense is adequate. I don't know if it's quite emotionally mm-hmm. sufficient. Um, yeah, I think the problem of evil is something that haunts me tremendously. Um I think the idea of hell uh, is, you know, is a struggle, you know. Um, but, you know, I believe that's what the Bible teaches. But, yeah, just some of those things from my limited – but the problem of evil is definitely the one. You know, I've, you know, personally and our family has been through things that are really very horrific and traumatic. And you just and I've, I've often thought, gosh, and I – in all of my brokenness, if I had power, I would not have let that happen. And how you, with all of your power, let that happen, I don't understand that. So, yeah, I think there's very good reasons. But I think the thing that always keeps my faith is the person of Jesus. I don't ever doubt my faith when I read the Gospels personally. I'm so attracted to the person of Jesus. I see him weeping. He's going to raise his mate from the dead. He knows he's going to, but he still weeps when he encounters death. So I think, yeah, I just can't get past the person of Jesus and the um, problems with my faith plus the person of Jesus are better for me than uh, problems and no faith. So is that how you kind of reconcile some of those doubts in your own faith by sort of pressing into the person of Jesus? Yeah, and and like take a look at the doubts. Mm. Read about it, see it, acknowledge it. There it's – there's – we live in a very complex world, full of brokenness, pain, heartache. So, yeah, I, I want to. I don't want to go around those things. I think that wrestling with that makes your faith truer and better. You know, it's a deeper kind of love. It's a faithfulness, and so. And how do we kind of sit with that uncertainty of like I know these truths, but I also know there's a lot of difficult things. How do we sit in the midst of that as a pastor? I guess particularly when we're pastoring yeah. other people through that. I think you've got to. I think it's community. So there's some measure, I mean, Jesus would withdraw and be with his father. The secret place was a source of particular power for Jesus. Um, being honest, letting it, let, letting our questions and pain, letting him out, you know, it's a, Jesus sweat blood. And so it does appear that in the presence of God, we can cry and plead and wail and let it all out. Um, but yeah, I, I remember Philip Yancey saying um, the key to the book of Job is this, is Job's the only one who to- spoke directly to God. Everybody talked about God, but Job talked to God. And I've always remembered that and thought, you know what, let me say this to God. I don't want to gr- grumble about God. Let me just say this to him. I think the Psalms give us permission. I think Jesus gives us permission to do that. And I often find that God meets me in a strange way when I'm vulnerable and honest like that. 
And I guess flipping that on its head, um, why do you still believe in the midst of all the things that you've encountered and all those difficult questions and objections over the years? Are there a few reasons why you do believe or is it kind of a nebulous thing that it's like hard to articulate? Yeah, I mean, it, so it would be four things. Goodness, truth, beauty and Jesus. So it's, as much as the problem of evil is a problem, the problem of beauty is a problem. If we live in a world that is governed by time-space matter, random chance, there's nothing behind it, this is just like chemicals in the brain, well, let me tell you, like the love I have for my family is not a, we cannot dismiss that through biology. So, yeah, I think a sense of wonder, beauty, truth, um, love, um, and then the person of Jesus, I think those, you know, I think reductionism is not sufficient to explain the human experience. It may explain how, but I certainly don't think it explains why. So, and I lean into that, so I pursue that, I follow that, and I find that that leads me to faith, in particularly the person of Jesus. You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. So if you were in an elevator in New York with, I guess, like a young Gen Z, Gen Z for the English listeners, <laughs> young person who was totally apathetic to the gospel, not interested at all, uh, what would your kind of minute, five minute elevator pitch be to that person to kind of show them that actually the gospel is relevant for their life? Well, I don't think I'd start with a pitch. I'd, I think I would. I mean, what was Jesus' approach? He's at the woman at the well. He's like, you're thirsty? Do you want living water? How, Jesus is basically like, how's life apart from God going for you? And I think I, that that's what I would do. I think we would probably start by asking questions like, hey, how's it going? What's happening in your heart? And then I, I somehow would try and say, I think Jesus meets the needs of the human heart. If you're struggling with guilt, he offers forgiveness. If you're struggling with shame, he, he offers a sense of nobility and belonging. If you're struggling with meaning, you know, if struggling with connection, he's the door. I just would go through the I am statements and say, these are Jesus', these are Jesus invitations to the human heart. And if you're thirsty or if you're lonely, you can come. Do you want to come over and chat about it a bit more? Probably or something, if it wasn't weird. <laughs> um, and I guess in some ways, like people who are sort of antagonistic to the gospel in some ways are slightly easier because at least they've been thinking about it and they've got like strong yeah. objections. In some ways, I think what I find the most difficult is the people who are totally apathetic. Oh, that's just your truth. How do we reach people who are apathetic about the gospel and the claims of Jesus? Do you think? Well, I think Paul has an approach. He's trying to reach the Jewish people. And what he says is a, this idea of sort of spiritual envy provoking them to jealousy and you know i think i think it's peter who says live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong so i think i think i would just try and model the fruit of the spirit who doesn't want love joy peace patience when you see someone like that peter again goes on and says like there's going to be some kind of hope in you that makes people go where'd you get that so i would try and model it I think more than anything, try and live a beautiful, compelling life that people say, how do I get some of that? And you mentioned earlier the kind of the tr traditional apologetics themes of like truth and goodness, um, but you're talking there about beauty. Do you think yes. in some ways in today's culture, beauty is more important um, or perhaps a better starting point than some of those more traditional? Yeah, I think beauty has the ability to sneak past our rational defences. You know, I, th I think... I just think it does something. 
I think art is important and the church has to reclaim its vision of art. It's always actually had a very strong history with the arts, but I think for the most part now we've sort of relegated that. We've got bad imitative art. But when you, when you, sometimes you read a poem or you see a picture or even if you get out in nature, you're just like, I don't, I don't need to debate this. I just, something's happening to me that's transcendent. So yeah, I'm a big believer we need to recover that. Telling better stories, all of those things, yeah. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic. I'm Ruth Jackson, and I was speaking there with Pastor John Tyson. As always, you can find out more about our guests through the links with today's show. And don't forget, there are more shows, articles, and resources at our website, premierunbelievable.com. You can also register there for a free ebook. Thank you for listening, and see you next week, where we'll be carrying on our conversation with John Tyson. We'll be hearing more of his story, as well as talking about culture, young people, and parenting. You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources, and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com.